Hey, what's going on? <laughs> How are we doing? We're doing well? Pretty good? No, you're not. No, you're not. I know you're not. You're lying. You're lying. Um, tough game yesterday, huh? Right? Hey, oh, like everyone's like, what game? Yeah, what game? Hey, just listen. Again, I say, I've said this a few times. At least you're not Bears fans, okay? At least you're not Bears. Or Blackhawks fans. Did you see that, you know, total destruction that the Kraken laid upon the... Uh, yeah, we're Chargers fans. Gosh, don't get me started there. Um, hey, if you're grieving over the loss of this Seahawks season and you're a man in our church, I want to invite you to our men's breakfast this <laughs> coming Saturday on January 21st so you can grieve with other men who are experiencing the loss of your football season. It's at 9 a.m. We have make-your-own-burritos. We have giveaways. There's going to be a teaching. It's, it's going to cheer you right up, okay? So Sunday, January 21st, head to arborchurch.org events. Sign up. It's going to be an awesome uh, gathering. Great way to get over uh, the, the big loss yesterday, okay, guys? There's always next year. There's always next year. Um, we're in this new series called A Better Way Forward, and I want to start by asking just a simple question today. Um, how many of you get distracted while you're driving? <laughs> just raise your hands. How many of you get distracted? Um, I may or may not get distracted when I drive. Um, you can ask my wife. Uh, I can tend to lose focus on the road. Um, I'll get my phone out. Yeah. <laughs> Usually just to change the song or like the podcast or alter the directions, not really to text too often, right? Like I'm not a total, you know, madman, right? <laughs> too often, keywords, too often. Um, so I get distracted once in a while when I drive and I do that thing where, you know, you, you, you have your phone and you kind of drift a little bit in the lane and you bring it back real quick and if you've got someone in the car, you've got to say, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Now there was one time though, and I got so distracted while I was driving that it almost had devastating consequences. And this happened many, many years ago. My wife and I, we were just dating at the time. I showed you all that picture last week. If you were here last week with us of just us dating, this was like 17, 18 years ago. And it was the summer of 2005. And I had actually moved out to Southern Oregon. Carrie and I were only dating for like two or three months. I moved out from Chicago to Southern Oregon to be closer to her because I was like, I'm not letting you out of my sight. We just started this thing. And so her parents lived in this small town town in southern Oregon, and in order to get to their house, you had to go over these winding roads up and down and to the left and to the right, and I grew up in Chicago. Everything is flat and right angles, and so when I first started driving this road, these roads, I was tremendously cautious as I was approaching, you know, hills going up and going down and making turns. I was watching what I was doing the entire time, but over time, right, you do something enough times, you start to grow a little comfortable with it, right? So I remember one day, it was a beautiful summer day, the sun was shining, I had Carrie in the car with me, we were driving on these roads, and I thought to myself, man, life is so good right now. All we need is the perfect song. So we're driving on these roads and I pull out my iPod. This is before the days of the iPhone. I pulled out my iPod to look for the perfect song. The windows were down. I was gonna turn the music up. But what I didn't realize was that as we were driving, we were going down this hill and, and little by little, slowly but surely, as I'm trying to find the perfect song for this most perfect moment, 
I, I, I realized that I was going way too fast for this turn that was up ahead. And as I suddenly realized how fast we were going, I tried to hit the brakes and turn the car to the left. Uh, much to my dismay, the car did not want to go to the left. And so we're, we're, we're kind of scrambling for control. I'm scrambling for control. The car begins to skid off the side of the road. And, and, and this is all compounded by the fact that if the car falls off the side of the road, we tumble down hundreds of feet on this hill. And I might have been praying. I might have been cussing. I'm not sure what was happening in the moment, just being real. Um, but we skid slowly but surely to a stop right before the edge of this hill. And there was dirt, you know, like I don't know if you've ever done something like this before, but all the dirt's like rushing past the car and getting into the windows. And I just stop and I turn to Carrie and I say, whoa, that was close. And she turns to me. And she says, get out of the car, I'm driving. <laughs> and I say, that's fine, you're the captain now. You are the captain now, you take control. And I said, fair enough, that makes total sense. Listen, little by little, because I stopped paying attention, that car, it was a 1994 Dodge Spirit, just so you can get the full <laughs> image of what was going on at the time, kept going faster and faster, and I didn't realize it until it was almost too late. And we, we laugh about it now, at least I do. But I think it's a good illustration for what happens in our lives. Little by little, barely noticeable at first, we do a little bit more. We do a little bit more. We add a few more things to our schedules. We get a little bit more efficient with our time. We get a little bit more aggressive with our time until suddenly we wake up overwhelmed, panicked, full of anxiety. And I wonder how many of you here this morning would say, I feel a little bit rushed in my life. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like there aren't enough hours in the day to do everything I want to do. How many of you feel like that right now? You feel like that's the spot that I'm in in my life right now. And maybe you're like me and you try to squeeze more into your day and be more efficient with your time. Like I'm the kind of guy where if I pull up to a stoplight, I'm evaluating each lane and I'm like, which lane has less cars and which cars look faster? Anyone else there with me? Or you're at the grocery store and you're like looking in all the carts and you're like, this one's going to be the fastest. <laughs> and it's not just this feeling of being hurried all the time. It's not just this feeling of being rushed. I, I wonder how many of you would say that because you feel so rushed and so hurried all the time, you're also disappointed. You're disappointed in the way that your life is going right now and because of the pace and because of the intensity, you start to think in your life, man, something feels like it's missing. There's a hole in my life and something feels like it's missing and I don't have time to do the things I wanna do. I don't have time to do the things that I love. I don't have time to spend with the people that I love. And then and, and you wonder, is there a better way forward? Well, what if I told you this? What if I told you that the greatest enemy to the life you want may be the life that you're living right now? That the greatest enemy to the life that you want is the life that you're living. And so today what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about when you're too busy for what matters. When you're too busy for what matters most. 
This is a message that has taken a long time to sink into my bones and into my life because I'm a person who likes to get things done. I like to be productive. I like to check things off of my to-do list. But what I've discovered over the last seven years is that kind of way of living, of pushing it to the max all the time, it's completely unsustainable. We hear so much about a hustle culture, a grind culture. What's your side hustle? Push it further, go harder, get more done. And listen, I think work is wonderful. I think we should all work and work hard and work unto the glory of God, but listen, not at the expense of our spiritual health. Not at the expense of our spiritual health. I've lived this way many, many years, and and what I discovered and what I shared with all of you last week was that the way that I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. I was living at such a pace and doing life at such a rate where the way that I was doing the work of God was destroying the work of God in me. And I wonder if that's, that's your story right now as well. You feel like you're burning the candle at both ends and, and you don't know how much longer you can actually do this, how much longer you can keep this up and you're like, I've gotta figure out a better way. I've gotta figure out a better way. And there is a better way and, and that better way we find it in the life of Jesus. We find it in the way that he lived, the way that he loved, and so we can see that in him. And what's so fascinating about the life of Jesus, when we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, he was only active in ministry for three years. And everything we see that Jesus did, he accomplished in those three years in his life. He came to this earth, he was baptized, he was affirmed by his father in ministry, he focused on the mission, he recruited 12 random guys, he brought them in, he shared his vision with them, he sent them out on mission. He was reviled by the religious leaders of his time, he resisted temptation from the devil, he healed countless people, he he taught the gospel fearlessly, he spent time with hurting people, He fulfilled 351 Old Testament prophecies. Jesus did all of that in three years, but not once in the gospel, I mentioned this last week, not once in the gospel do we see Jesus running. Never once do we see Jesus running or jogging or skipping or hustling to his next destination. We never read that in any of the gospels. Never once was Jesus with his disciples and he was like, guys, things are going great here, but listen, we've gotta make it to Capernaum before sunset or else we're gonna miss this opportunity to feed all these people. Jesus was never like that. Jesus was never rushed. Jesus was never hurried. Jesus did a lot, but he was never rushed. He was never hurried. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can open those up to the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark, we see a phrase that we will see over and over again throughout the Gospels. And the phrase is this. Mark said this about Jesus. He said as Jesus, in Mark 2, chapter 14, you can follow along on, uh, on the screens as well. Jesus said this. He said, as he what? Walked. As he walked along, Jesus saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Jesus was unrushed. Jesus was unhurried. He walked along. This is the pace and the way of life of Jesus, the one we profess to follow, our Savior. 
this unhurried Jesus invites Levi to follow him, and if the teacher, if the rabbi that invites you to follow him lives an unhurried life, then what kind of life should Levi expect to live? A what? An unhurried life, an unrushed life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, what kind of life should you expect to live? An unhurried life, right? (laughs) Reluctant to say it because you know it's not true, right? (laughs) If we follow an unhurried Jesus, listen, if we follow an unhurried Jesus, then we should be living an unhurried life. That's the reality. That's the reality. But the way most of us are living is very different than the way Jesus lived. It's like me in that car, slowly but surely, little by little, we're building up more and more things, more and more pace to our life. And we feel rushed, stressed, overwhelmed, exhausted. This, This feeling like we're always falling short. This feeling like we're always trying to get things done. And this Jesus invites you. He invites you to follow him and to go at his pace and to go at his way of life. He offers you a better way forward. We looked at that very important passage in scripture last week in Mark or in Matthew chapter 11, but we looked at it in the New English translation. I wanna look at it in a different translation, the message. Anyone familiar with the message? Here, the message gets knocked by really serious Christians because it's not like a word-for-word translation, but it was translated by this, I'm gonna go off on a little tangent real quick here, is that okay? Translated by this guy named Eugene Peterson, who I quoted last week, who was an incredible pastor, biblical scholar, and a master of the languages. So just so everyone knows here, I really love the message. Not as like a Bible study thing, but as a devotional reading. Some of the translations there are, are so wonderful and minister to your heart and to your soul, and so I just wanna read again Matthew 11 from from Eugene Peterson's translation on Jesus and the yoke. And so just listen to what Jesus offers you. Listen to what he offers us. He says this. He says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Now listen to this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Who wants that? I want that. I want that all day long. Jesus says, follow me, be with me, walk with me, learn from me, and I will show you how to live. Jesus says, he promises you, he will show you how to live a truly beautiful, truly abundant life, a life of peace, a life that is free, a life life that is light. This is what Jesus invites us to. This is the better way forward. So again, think about the life of Jesus lived 30 years before finally entering into his public ministry, baptized by John the Baptist. And at that scene, the Holy Ghost comes down in the form of a dove and the Father from heaven says to Jesus, he says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
He affirms his son to go on that mission before Jesus has taught a single message, before he's preached, before he's healed, before he's spent any time with a hurting person. His father in in heaven affirms him to go out on his mission. But what's the first thing that Jesus does after he's baptized? He goes out into the wilderness to spend time with his heavenly father. Before he heals anyone, before he teaches anything, He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. He resists temptation from the devil. He is strengthened by his heavenly father and then he goes out on mission. But what's the first miracle that Jesus does? Does anyone know the first miracle that Jesus does? The wine, the wedding feast at Cana. Jesus' first miracle wasn't like, hey, I'm showing up, I'm the son of God, you know, I'm doing this big thing, I'm gonna feed 10,000 people. Like Jesus' first thing was he was at this wedding and he was clearly there until the very end because he was there until the wine ran out, right? And so they tapped on Jesus and they're like, maybe this will be a good use of whatever Jesus has got going on. And so they ask him, they say, hey, Jesus, we got this water and Jesus was there and Jesus, he's like, he he turned that water into more party juice and he's like, hey, let's keep this going, right? Jesus wanted to linger. He wanted to spend more time with those people. Jesus lived an unhurried life. Jesus lived an unhurried life. In another set of healing miracles in Mark 5, if you have your Bibles, you can turn here. We're gonna spend a little time here to look at Jesus' life a little more closely. Jesus was approached by a synagogue leader in Mark chapter 5. His name was Jairus. And this man fell at Jesus' feet and he pleaded with him and he said this, listen. He said, my little daughter is near death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be healed and lived. And Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And so this is, this is an urgent matter. In fact, in this NET translation right before it, it says that Jairus urgently asked Jesus. Like this was like 911, Jesus, we gotta go right away. My daughter, she's on her deathbed. You need to come. And so Jesus goes, he moves with him. This entire crowd moves with him. But look at what happens in verse 25. In verse 25. Now a woman was there who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years. And she had endured a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and and she touched his cloak. For she kept saying, if only I touch his clothes, I will be healed. And at once the bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And so this incredible miracle, in the midst of this bustling crowd, in the midst of this urgent matter, here this poor woman who would have been an outcast thinks to herself, if I merely touch the cloak of Jesus, then I will be healed. And she touches the cloak and she is healed. I mean, it is incredible. But Jesus doesn't just persist on like this is gonna be some sort of McDonald's drive-by miracle. Jesus stops. He stops in the midst of this urgent matter And he acknowledges this woman. In the midst of this urgent crisis, I mean, this man has just fallen at Jesus' feet and he is pleading, he's saying, hurry, Jesus, hurry. We need you to come to my house. Jesus stops in the midst of that because he's unrushed, because he's unhurried. And he acknowledges this woman. And listen, that in itself is so important because because this woman would have been an outcast because of her condition. And he stops and he acknowledges her and he says, listen to what he says to her. He says, daughter, daughter, 
your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Did you know that in all of the gospels, this is the only time that Jesus singles a woman out and calls her daughter? This one moment, this is an intimate moment of love and care and tenderness and he stops and he affirms her identity and he says that you've been made well in the midst of an urgent crisis where there is a girl who is dying. Look at the news we get in verse 35. While he was still speaking, people came from the synagogue leader's house saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any longer? And so from our perspective here at this moment, it seems like we have this unrushed, unhurried Jesus who has missed his opportunity to heal. But he says this in verse 36. But Jesus, I love this right here. But Jesus, paying no attention to what was said, just like whatever, told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, just believe. Jesus is like, don't listen to those bozos. They have no idea what they're talking about. I've got this under control. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And sure enough, he, he goes into Jairus' home and, and he heals his daughter because, because Jesus lived an unhurried life. This is the pattern, this is the way of Jesus. And so listen, if we follow an unhurried Jesus, then, then we should be living an unhurried life. But the reality is for most of us, that's not the case. We're living the opposite of that. And I think it really boils down to two reasons. I think we are, living un, we are living rushed and hurried lives because we are either running from something or we are running to something. We're running from something or we're running to something. Like for me personally, to get vulnerable, I would say I'm running from insignificance and I'm running to acceptance. What are you running from? What are you running toward? What are you running from? What are you running toward? Maybe you're running from a past failure. Maybe you're running from, from something someone said about you once. Maybe you're running from some insecurity that you're trying to overcome in your life, prove everyone wrong. Maybe you're running from a hurt. Maybe you're running to something. Maybe that's what's occupying your time and your space and causing you to feel hurried. You're running towards some success, some image, some level of influence in your life, some popularity, you're running to be liked, you're running to be respected, you're running to be admired. Or maybe you're just running to a spot so that you don't have to run anymore. You're running to feel this sense of comfort and peace. But let me just tell all of you that regardless of what you're running from, regardless of what you're running to, listen, whatever we're chasing after ultimately in our life, it will leave us feeling empty and longing for more. Whatever we're running from, whatever we're running to, it's gonna leave us feeling empty and, and wanting more. How are you living your life? Again, what if the greatest enemy to the life you want is actually the way you're living right, <clears throat> right now? Now some of you might say, I get it. I get that Jesus lived this unhurried life. This is the way of Jesus, this is what he calls us to. But you don't understand, Ryan, what, my life. I've got a job, I've got a family, I've got kids, I've got two jobs, I've got to do all of these things and, and that's good for Jesus the way he lived his life. That was 2,000 years ago before the internet or before anything that we have to face right now. And Ryan, I get maybe you can do it. You're a pastor, you work on Sundays. You've got the rest of the week to do whatever you want, right? I get it, I understand it. 
But if I could very respectfully say to everyone here this morning, you have time for what you choose to have time for. We good? (laughs) You have time for what you choose to have time for. And if I could just keep pushing a little bit more, I would say this. The solution is not more time. The solution is more of what matters most. The solution is not more time. The solution is more of what matters most. Simply put, I think the reason so many of us feel so rushed and hurried and scattered and confused and anxious is because we have mindlessly made time for frivolous pursuits. And I don't say that judgmentally, like that's what you guys are doing. I'm saying that as someone who, if you looked at the screen time on my phone, I'd be embarrassed how much time I spent on Instagram reels this week, okay? Just being real, just being real. Did you, do you know, the, on average, how much time people spend on social media every year? How many hours? Any guesses out there? How many hours we spend on social media every year on average? I got a thousand? It's a little bit less than that. 706 hours per year. And if you're to break that time down, and, and if the average workday was eight hours, do you know that comes out to four and a half months of working time? Four and a half months of working time that we spend on social media, on average, and I know there are a few people in this room who are above average, right? (laughs) You crush it. You crush it in that department. You have time for what you choose to have time for. Television is even worse. Television, the average person spends apparently 2,700 years per year with their TV on. Hours. (laughs) Sorry. Hours per year hours per year. That seems like too much. And, and can we talk about video games for a second? Guys, <laughs> guys, I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Did you know that on average, the, t- the average 21-year-old man in his lifetime up until that point, point do you know how many hours he spent playing video games? <laughs> 10,000. 10,000 hours. Do you know what you can do with 10,000 hours? Anything, play more video games. <laughs> I, I, if, you, if, you, if you made $10 an hour, you could have earned $100,000. If you're an average reader, you could have read 2,000 books. I mean, if, if you, you could have gotten your undergrad degree with those 10,000 hours, you could have done so much. And the person who played video games probably was like, that's fine. I, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world, right? Um, you have time for what you choose to have time for. And again, the solution to our hurried, rushed existence is not more time. The solution is more of what matters most. It's more of what matters most. There's this quote, I couldn't find who it should be attributed to, um, but I love it, and, and many of you have probably heard it before. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. And so in other words, the exhaustion, the confusion, uh, the the frustration, the, the disconnection from God that we feel because of the way that we're living our lives, they are natural byproducts of, of, of the, the, the life that we've designed for ourselves. And so even now in this moment, would you reflect right now, what's your number one priority in your life? What's your number one priority? Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your comfort. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's success. What is my number one priority in my life? 
What am I giving my focus to? What am I giving my attention to? And this is so important for us to understand because what we give our attention to and our focus to is what we end up becoming. What we give our focus to and our attention to is what we end up becoming. What we fill our minds and what we fill our hearts with not only shape the outcome of our lives, but they also shape who we become as people. They shape our character. And perhaps as we just briefly evaluate our priorities and the way that we're living right now, we're coming to terms uh, with the reality that our priorities are out of whack. And maybe we've prioritized some good things, but we've prioritized some good things as best things. And we're coming to terms with the reality that, that the greatest enemy to the life that I know each of us deeply desire in our hearts is the life that we're living right now. And so, so what do we do? How do we move forward from here? How do we begin to change? Well, just a few simple things as we wrap up, as we finish up here. Number one, for many of us in this room, perhaps we just need to take a baby step. A simple step to begin to realign our vision and our priorities in our lives. And for you, what I'd simply say is perhaps you need to start by praying this one simple prayer. I've been praying this this past week, and it's this. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. Pray that prayer. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience Jesus fully and love people deeply. You can pray this prayer first thing when you wake up in the morning. You can pray it over your cup of coffee. You can pray it on, on a drive to work, driving your kids to school, before lunch, right before you go to bed. Pray the simple prayer, God, help me walk slowly enough to experience you fully and love people deeply. I don't know what's going to happen in your life as you pray that prayer, but what I've seen in my life is that as I've prayed prayers like this before, I've, I've seen as God has begun to change my life, change my heart, he, he's increased this sense of discontentment in my heart with the way I've been living my life and he draws me to a better way forward. So perhaps that's the first step for you, just that simple prayer. God, help me walk slowly enough to experience you fully and to love people deeply. But maybe some of you are like, no, something more dramatic needs to change. And you're like, I know that I have time for what I make time for and I need to reprioritize some things. I need to make some decisions. And perhaps that's what you need to go into this week looking at, is looking at my life and being like, some things need to change. I need to prioritize my time with the Lord. And even if it's just 10, 5, 15 minutes at the beginning of your day, that's what I need to do. I need to slow myself down in the morning and align myself with who God says I am and and, and his mission for my life. It it could be as simple as being like, you know what, I'm putting my phone away from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. Everyone's like, no. No, but perhaps that's the step. Perhaps that's the step in order to spend more time with God, with the people around you, to prioritize the things that are most important. Again, the greatest enemy to the life we want might be the life we're currently living. And, 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 and every system gets the results that it's designed for. And so we can't expect to change and move forward unless we make changes in our lives. And last but not least, um, as, as, as Brian said, we've got groups coming up. 
And I don't think there's a better way for us to try to press forward and follow after Jesus than joining our lives with other people and, and doing life together, not just to, not just to make friends and, and get to know more people, although that's a wonderful reason to join a group, but to really pursue Jesus. This life was not meant to be lived alone. We were not meant to, to live on an island. And perhaps joining with other people in a group, going after the things of the Lord and pursuing Jesus, the, the disciplines, pursuing Sabbath, silence, solitude. Carrie and I are gonna be leading a group on Monday night focusing on those things. Join a group like that. Get involved. Begin to make some changes in your life this week. And so, so wherever you find yourself this morning, Know that there's a step that you can take in your journey. Know that there is a better way forward. Maybe it's just by praying a simple prayer. Maybe it's by just adjusting some things in your daily schedule. Maybe it's jumping in and joining a group and pursuing after the way of Jesus. Listen, if we follow an unhurried Jesus, we should be living an unhurried life. I'll leave you guys with this last quote from Corey Ten Boom. She's this um, Dutch woman who was a part of a family that helped a bunch of Jewish people escape Nazis during World War II. And she said this. She said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. That's good, right? If the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. And so would we make every effort this week to eliminate busyness, to eliminate hurry from our lives, and, and to begin to slowly but surely Make room for what matters most. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your son. We thank you that first and foremost, he, he lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we deserved so that we can have a relationship with you. And we thank you for that. Oh Lord, we also thank you that Jesus made a way and he lived a life, God, that, that we, um, we long to live. Uh, we want to enter into the rest God, that you offer us through your son, Jesus. And so whatever step that you have invited us to take this morning, God, I pray that you would give us the strength through your spirit to take those steps, that we would trust you, and that we would begin to live better lives. Lord, you, you promise abundant eternal life, not just in the future, but here and now. And so God, I pray that as we um, grow in our relationships with you, as we grow together as a church, as we pursue Jesus. God, that's our mission. We are people finding and following Jesus, Lord. And so I pray right now that as we pursue after you, uh, God, we would begin to experience some of that peace and that wholeness and that hope. Lord, I pray that we would be, um, that you would open our eyes to the, the, the priorities in our lives, God, that we've gotten wrong. But for many of us, some things just really need to change. We can't expect for us to experience some better way forward if we're not willing to make some changes in the here and now. So God, I pray that in your kindness and in your mercy, in the same way that you stopped and spent time with that woman, Lord, would we encounter you that way, even this morning, the assurance that you invite us into something better, that you do not shame us or condemn us for the ways that we've been living our lives, but you implore us and you desire us and you are beckoning each and every person in this room right now to, to come after you and to follow you because you offer them a better way. You offer us a better way, Jesus, and we thank you for that. And God, I pray that we would take you up on that offer and that we would see, that we would see life with you is truly better. It is good and it is full, God. We thank you and pray all this in your powerful name. Amen.